It's great that we've got the opportunity to continue our new series, The Joy of Being God. And it really isn't explaining how we could be God. It's really just understanding the character of the God we serve. And just really understand the happiness, the joy that God gives us, and really the joy that we can understand from His character and how it should be reflected in our lives. If I just recap, I can explain that Phil Moore, he started off the series for us with a message of the joy of being God. And that really is just understanding, um, especially from 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, it says the glorious gospel of the happy God, which really kind of summarizes it right up. And he just gave us an overview of the whole series. The following week, we looked at the joy of working. And it's just understanding, looking in Genesis about the creation about how God creates things, but how he had such joy in creating them, and how we can transfer that into our lives, if we're in the home or a workplace, school, college, wherever it is, how we can have a real joy, and just, uh, yeah, just a joy and happiness in whatever we create. Next, we looked at the joy of resting. This is just really, again, understanding from God when he created, and how he stopped on the seventh day and rested. God doesn't need to rest. He doesn't rest, but he just, he just kind of, showed us an example of taking what we call the Sabbath day off from the seven days, one of the days is off, and just really how we can rest and just enjoy God. The next time we looked at it was the joy of friendship, and that was with Andy. And he just looked at the Trinity, really the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and just how it, it wasn't really that they felt they were missed out or lost something, but they had such a... Um, a relationship of love and just wanting to include us into it. And just, we talked through the joy of friendship with others as well, but most of all, a relationship with God. Last week, Phil talked to us about the joy of giving. And you think, oh, giving, do I have to give? But it wasn't that, it was understanding. If you haven't seen the message, please watch it. It's the understanding how God is a real giver. God can outgive us beyond what we can possibly give. And it's actually probably wrong for us to try and give to God like we owe Him anything. We just can't pay that back. So we just got to understand that in relationship with God, He is the giver. He is very much the giver. But He gives to us so that we can be a blessing to others. We can't outgive God, but we can receive His gifts so we can bless others in His name. So today, we're talking about the joy of rescuing. Okay, that can probably be, I mean, the word rescue probably causes many different dramatic pictures to flood our minds. It stirs up our emotions. It kind of gets us thinking. We ask ourselves, well, who was rescued? What happened to get them in such a situation? And where did they have to be rescued? And who rescued them? Lots of questions. We just love rescues and we love heroes. If you think of all the books, you think of all the books you've read or the movies you've seen, Somewhere, there is a rescue plot. It could be really, really obvious. It could be the aliens attacking the world, and there's got to be a rescue. It could be more subtle, though. It could be rescuing a character from their thoughts, or just really a, a stage of life they're stuck in a rut. It could be very subtle, but every single book or every single movie, I would guarantee you, somewhere, there's a rescue plot. And then the idea of superheroes. I mean... They were created to be rescuers, to be saviors, to just save the world, just to rescue the world. Without that, if they didn't have that kind of job, why were they created? What would they do if they had no one to rescue if the world wasn't already in peril? 
We've seen so many more movies come through with these superheroes, and they're growing and growing because people are looking for superheroes, super action, or action heroes, just to save them and be rescued. We all need rescuing. I've got four children, and I can give you a whole list of rescue situations that I've been involved with. As you can imagine, they're quite adventurous ones. Some deal with washing machines, some with stairs, some with trees. Uh, sometimes verbal circumstances said one thing, probably meant that thing. Lots of different rescuing in our household. But what I'd like to do is take you back many, many years uh, to when I was young. That was a time, and it really was, honest. I had just got my first car. I was so excited. It was an Austin Allegro. And the reason it was so good, I'd look through the car magazines after I bought it, and it was there in the top 10 of the worst cars to buy. But hey, I loved it. It was a great car, and I just loved driving around in it. And suddenly I had this independence. I kind of grew up in a seaside town, and it was like, almost like that was my little, my little home, a seaside town. But suddenly I had this car, so I could go a little bit further afield. And this opportunity came up and said, my friend said, look, this top band, this latest band has got a really big concert in the big city. We'd love to go there. We'd love to go and get the concert. So we've been saving up our money. And so the three of us were able to have just enough money to buy these tickets for this big, big pop concert in the big city. And of course, I had the car. I said, I'll drive, no trouble. So the evening came round. And we were just so excited. So I left my little town. I drove about 30 miles to the next town, picked up my two friends, and we were just so excited. Can you imagine us in the car, driving along like this? We'd even got the cassette, in, cassette yeah, plastic thing, reels, goes, yep, cassette goes in, playing the music of this band, going along, chatting, buzzing, what's it going to look like? What's the stage show going to be? What's the lighting going to be like? Really, really excited. Probably too excited. What I did was, I was going down the road, which had to go back onto the main highway, the motorway. Um, but by default, the way I'd normally go to go home is right instead of left. So I went right, because I wasn't paying that much attention. I was enjoying the moment, the excitement of the, of the songs we were singing and the, um, yeah, the excitement of going to the concert. So we ended up going the wrong way on the motorway. And that's when the excitement dropped. We realized what we'd done, or what I had done. So instead of traveling towards the big city, I was now traveling back home on a motorway for the next 12 miles till the next junction so I could turn around and take us away back again. It was just awful. You can imagine, it was almost like laser vision from my friends going, what have you done? We're going to miss the concert. And I'm thinking, ah. Oh. And you almost, you almost think every car that's going in the right direction, where you're going in the wrong direction, is going to go to the concert and get there on time and be there before you. It was dreadful. So we've rocketed down to the next junction, turned around at the junction, came back another 12 miles, back to where we literally started, and then we pressed on. And it was only then that the smiles started coming back. And people thought, oh, at last, we're actually making progress now. We've done a 24-mile to nowhere trip, but we're now back on target, going down the motorway, the highway, towards the big city. We thought, great, it's going to go really well. But of course, we're a little bit late, so we're running behind time. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I increased the acceleration a bit. And this car seemed to handle it, seemed to be going okay. It was getting a bit dark now. 
and we're going quite a good speed, thinking, okay, we could make this, we could make the concert okay. Suddenly, there was a massive bang, and the life of the car departed from the engine, and it slowly drifted off and off the road. And that was it. It was dead. So we phoned through to the uh, recovery people saying, come and fix my car. I need to get to a concert. It's really important. They came and they said, no, no, this is a dead car. Your engine is shot. You, you know, it's no hope for this car. We're not going to fix it. And I was so annoyed. I got back in the car and it started to pour with rain. And I slammed the door too hard. The window dropped <laughs> through the door. In came the rain, in came the wind. It was miserable. So the recovery guy said, look, I could take your car home, but I don't need you to come with me. So perhaps you, some other way you can get to the concert. So I phoned up my dad, who was, had planned an evening in with mum. Uh, he was just going to you know, have the special time together. Uh, I think they have a Chinese takeaway or something like that. But I phoned him and I said, this is a problem. This is the situation. We need rescuing. Can you come and get us? And he dropped everything, absolutely everything. He got in his car and drove, probably about, we'd done about 40 miles from the house from then. Picked us up, not only that, not only did he pick us up, he then drove us another 30, 40 miles into the big city, found out where the conference was, not conference, the concert was, dropped us off right outside the door. We ran in, we just got to see got to our seats as they started, and then he waited outside for us. The concert was about two and a half hours long, but he waited for us. But on the journey up there, he had a joy of celebrating the excitement of going to this concert. And then when the concert finished, we came out, and there was, he was waiting for us with a smile on his face, excited that we had had a good time, happy to take us home safely, happy to know that we got to our concert that we've been looking forward to for so long. If I look at that, if I, the more I look back on that time, the more I treasure my parents, uh, the more I treasure my dad, but also the glimpse of God I get to see through my dad's actions. I saw the sacrificial love of my dad. I saw the joy he had in rescuing us, the joy he had in, in just taking us to where we were wanting to go to, and then the joy of bringing us back safely. We totally failed in our own strength. The car wasn't good enough, the recovery guy wasn't going to happen. It took the father to rescue us. And even the mistakes we made, even me blowing the engine, my dad was able to turn it around for good. He found another engine, it made the car even better. Not faster, just better. But that was just a glimpse. Just through my, he my earthly father, I had a glimpse of how God rescues us, but enjoys rescuing us. We continually live in a catastrophic reality of a fallen world. This might be why rescue is such a central theme of God's love for us. God knows our deepest needs. The Bible refers to rescue, or of one form or another, over 500 times. That's a lot of rescuing, a lot of saving, but you can see it's, it's just crucial within the Bible. This isn't a Bible, but it's my little Webster's Dictionary. The full title is The New <coughs> Webster's Dictionary and Complete Vest Pocket Library of 45,800 Words Across Five Books. The reason I like this is because it was published in 1893, which means they had 
sometimes a different comprehension of what a word meant. There was a joke there for somewhere. But they just, they, did, they understood. So I looked through and I saw the word rescue. And it, the way they summarize it, obviously it's a pocket one, so there's not much words. But it summarizes deliver or save. And that's quite key. So this message today is going to carry on the story of the Bible. As we're looking through, uh, since we started this series, we're working our way through the Bible. So introducing the Lord is the God who rejoices in rescuing and saving us. So we're going to move out of Eden, and we're going to move into Genesis 6. Now this is not a great place to go. So let's look how the world is in Genesis 6, verse 5. It's entitled, The Wickedness in the World. I'll read it to you. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, <clears throat> and that every inclination or thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eye of the Lord. Or another translation is, the Lord was very pleased with Noah. So God judges sin, and that's only right. But even in his judgment, he loves to save. We see this clearly in the story of Noah and his ark. That continues. It's in Genesis 6, verse 9. We'll read it now. Noah and the flood. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all round. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded. I love it when God supplies a plan like that, so detailed. I'm very much a detailed person. So to have that detailed plan from God, that would have been brilliant. I would have loved that. But it wasn't the whole plan. Saving Noah and his family wasn't the whole plan. Because God offers humankind a second chance through Noah's line, through Noah's lineage. We were on this earth only by God's grace. He didn't totally give up on his creation. He's given us a reprieve. 
our last chance for rescue. The flood, it acts as a reminder that he judges sin. His standards are still high, too high for us to obtain. In our own strength, we cannot help ourselves. God knew this, that's why he sent his son to save us. Even Noah wasn't without sin. No one is except one, that's Jesus Christ, God's son. He was entirely blameless, yet he died a criminal's death for us. Jesus hung on the cross because he was part of a rescue plan. It may seem unjust for a father to send his only son to death for crimes that Jesus did not commit, but that's just it. God shows his mercy through the death of his son. Our salvation doesn't come through a wooden ark, but through a wooden cross. A cross which Jesus embraced with joy. With joy. So if you read that in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it talks about his response, that the joy was set before him. If I read you the whole verse, it says here, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scored in its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you look at the Old Testament and prophecies there, Isaiah 53, verse 10, it totally blows your mind when it tells you that God the Father shared that joy. Even as Jesus died, the Father was pleased to be, that he was bruised and crushed. If you read the full verse, it says here, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's also echoed in Ephesians 5, verse 2. It says here, Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ, who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. And God was pleased because that sacrifice was what like sweet perfume to him. So we can really hardly understand that, but it's essential that we get how much the Lord rejoices in saving us. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He really is the God of Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. I'll read it to you. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Amazing. We're all human and incapable of living perfect lives. Even those who try to do good and are honest and loving people, they're still slaves to sin. Because we can never be blameless. We've got greed, pride, hate. These sins we've all committed. As imperfect people, we must pay for our sin. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Without the payment of sin, we cannot come before him. Sin totally separates us from God's presence. But Jesus' sacrifice offers us the chance to be close to our Heavenly Father. Just as God saved Noah for his faithfulness, he also provided us all with a life-saving way out. Romans 3.24 says, 
out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. So through his sovereign grace, the Lord makes us blameless in his sight. Though we as sinners deserve harsh judgment, he offers each of us, each of us, salvation. Christ paid for the sin of all men so that we could be spared. By acknowledging his sacrifice and accepting God into our lives, our sin is pardoned. I want to remind us of this. It's quite a well-known verse or verses from John 3 and it's verses 16 to 18. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one of a kind son of God when introduced to him. Now Noah escaped death because he followed God's plan, detailed it was. By building the ark, he rescued his family. In the same way, God sacrifices his son to save us from death. Sin is still sin, no matter what century it is, whether it's in Noah's time or whether it's today. The only way to have an eternal future with him is through Jesus Christ. John 6, verse 40, it says, Anyone who sees the Son and trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns with him will enter real life, eternal life. So God wants us to rejoice in his saving as much as he rejoices in saving us. Let me say that again. So God wants us to rejoice in his saving us as much as he rejoices in actually saving us. So I'll give you a comparison. So in Psalm, it says here, He rescued me from the strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of, into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So that's the God. Then our response is in Luke 1, verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My Savior, the person who saves me. So how do we respond to such a joyful Savior? I'd actually challenge you. If you don't feel the joy of being saved, I'd question, have you been saved? Or have you totally realized what being saved is about? Once we really fully acknowledge the sacrifice was made to save us, and what we've been saved from, then the joy was spread right through every core of our lives. We would be like God. We would, we would represent and just reflect the joy God has in saving. We would have the joy of being saved. 
Let me pray to close. Lord, thank you that you've rescued us. In all the trials of life, help us to keep trusting in you and fully live in the joy of being saved from our sins through your son's death on the cross. Amen.